Hi, welcome back to Wild Geese Travelling. Um, I'm out walking early in the morning along the towpath as I bring this to you. Uh, it's early dawn, the mist is just rising off the woodlands around me. A few people are starting to head off to work because uh, the hour has just gone forward. So uh, although although it's it's only just lightening up in the skies. Um, the uh, people are already on their way to work and the geese are awake and clacking away to each other. They're all courting at the moment, as are all the other birds. And perhaps you can hear as I'm walking past this copse, there's really quite a lot of birdsong activity and it's been quite a beautiful dawn chorus this morning. And the sun's rising up above the hill and we've moved since last time I spoke to you on podcast um, and uh, we're now about a mile out of Whaley Bridge, only a little move because uh, I have a few health appointments that I've got to keep so I have to stay in the area at the moment but we're now moored at a place called Furnace Vale which is just straight along the A6 um, going towards Manchester and Furnace Vale um, is locally just known as Furnace and when I look out for uh, what's what was going on in history I find that for really quite a long time back there's been a furnace at Furnace Vale which suggests that there's probably also um, a seam of iron nearby because uh, the earliest recording of the name place of Furnace goes back at least to the 1600s, so quite a long time before the canal was built. Uh, but it may be uh, a reasoning why the canal goes through Furnace, although it is also on the, on the contour of the hill, so uh, the Peak Forest is a flat canal, it doesn't have any locks for the first half of its journey. In fact, it has just one flight of locks at Marple, quite a spectacular run of, I think, 16 locks at Marple. And uh, so, um, the, yeah, it, the, the, the journey is flat from Whaley Bridge to Marple. And then once you get below Marple, it's again flat into Manchester where it joins the, um, I don't know what, what canal it, jo it joins. It goes down the Ashford locks anyway into Manchester. So Furnace, yeah, Furnace is not a lot to write home about really, but it is convenient. It's It's got a stunning mural station, another one of these lovely stations on the Manchester to Buxton line uh, with a level crossing just by the canal bridge. It, it really is a great place to pick people up if people are coming to join you to visit or something like that. Uh, there's a couple of pubs. There's the, the aptly named crossings, just by the level crossing, which I've never been in. And the equally madly named Soldier Dick, uh, which is up in the village, right on the A6, and, and serves a nice enough pint, and, uh, and has a good little hotel if you're, if you're ever wanting guests who need to stay in a hotel rather than on a boat. You could pick worse places than for them to put up in Furnace Vale and for you to uh, go on boat trips around the Peak Forest. So 
Furnace Vale also, it has a community post office, I'm not sure the opening times of that. Uh, a not bad fish and chip shop. Um, and not a lot else. So, uh, not a huge amount to tell you about Furnace, uh, apart from the fact that it is another wonderful transport hub. It also has plenty of buses running through it as well. Just uh, standing in the woods along the Peak Forest near Furnace Vale and uh, you can just hear the birds shouting so much they, uh, they definitely think it's spring. So um, it's lovely as a herbalist to walk out in this early springtime. So um, I'm fairly north in England and uh, the plants are quite a long way behind where they are down south. I've got a friend who's sending me uh, fresh gallium up from Devon at the moment and it's nine or ten inches high and up here in Derbyshire it's really still only just waking up although at this point where we've got a, a warm sunny snap where uh, the, the herbs are doubling in size every day and I'm looking just now at a, a patch of nettles and the nettles are coming in strong now Nettles are another uh, real staple, important part of, uh, of a herbalist's materia medica, as we call the plants that we use. And nettle has always been a, an incredibly important herb in the northern cultures, particularly because it comes up so early in the spring. Nettle is really rich in irons and vitamins uh, it's, it's a tonic herb, it's also uh, quite a good anti-inflammatory and we use it a lot for uh, arthritic conditions where it, it both acts to uh, act on the inflammatory mechanism and also helps to clear uric acid from the body which is often important in uh, the way in which arthritis develops and flares up. Um, so. We harvest nettle um, as young as we can. Once it gets older, it develops a, a crystalline substance which isn't, isn't so good for the kidneys and we prefer not to use it once it's got bigger and older. Uh, the easy way to deal with that if you garden is just to cut your nettle patch right back with a pair of shears and let the new stems come up from the bottom. And that way you can harvest really a long way into the summer uh, having new young nettle leaves all the time. They're quite tasty. They're, uh, they're obviously not super mega tasty because they haven't made it into the, uh, into the palate of regular vegetables that we eat, although that could also be to do with their propensity to sting. But they, they are really pleasant and uh, there's something that I use a lot at this time of year. We put it in soups, um, uh, put it in pasta. When I make pasta, I, uh, I grind nettle and add that to it. Gnocchi, uh, all the places where you might use spinach. Nettle's really good for uh, substituting in and uh, just as nutritious in a different way. So a really good variable on that. And of course also I juice it as well. So this time of year, we really recommend um, getting out and, uh, and gathering the early nettles and adding them to your diet and also you can dry them and use them in teas it, because they're so nutritious 
and because their roots run so deep into the ground, uh, they're, they're ideal for providing us with minerals and nutrients because they draw so many in through these long roots that go deep into the ground. So lots and lots of trace elements in the, in the spring nettles. So to dry them, the simple way to do it, uh, obviously the old way to do it, is just to hang them up. So you gather them and then I tie the stalks together at the bottom quite tightly with string. Uh, it does need to be tight because of course as the, as the stalks dry they get thinner and the, it drops out from the string. Or if you uh, prefer you can use an elastic band and of course that tightens on the stems as the stems dry. And it's traditional to hang them upside down and uh, that holds all their nutrients in as they dry out. And the faster you dry them, the greener they stay and the more of the goodness of the plant remains in the plant and not evaporated off. So it's quite common to hang them uh, near a wood burner or a ray burn or something like that or in a very warm sunny window. And of course more recently in, uh, in modern years it's become very popular to, uh, to use a dehydrator. And they're not ridiculously expensive. Um, I'm always a little bit leery of things that use electricity to do something that can be done just as well in another way. But drying does take a fair bit of attention to get a good product. And uh, a dehydrator is a really easy way of doing that. And uh, I am planning to get one this summer. Just as feeling very smug because uh, I've got less of a, an issue about my electricity because all of my electric in the summer is produced by solar power and so uh, I, I have so much electricity in the summer that I'm actually dumping it and so running a dehydrator is, uh, is useful and that way I'll be able to dry nettles and a few other plants that I use as well including the, uh, the cleavers, the gallium that we talked about last week also chickweed and uh, a little bit of broadleaf plantain and I dry these and crumble them up and then use it as a stew mixture so um, in the winter I can add uh, a, a mixture of these herbs which is last, largely nettle based and I can I just add a tablespoon or two of those into whatever I'm stewing whether it's lentils or, or beef or lamb or chicken and, and that just uh, increases the body of it and flavours it and provides an extra tranche of nutrients into your dinner. So that's nettle. Take care when you're picking it. I've got a, a longish fingernails and I find that I can pinch the stems away very easily without getting stung. Some people prefer to use gloves um, but uh, or scissors. You can just snip them and the, uh, the stems are pretty sturdy so you can very gently pick them up with the scissors just behind the leaves and pop them into your gathering basket or pocket or bag or whatever it is you use. So I do recommend that you try them because they're super healthy and incredibly, incredibly easy to, uh, to harvest and collect. Obviously finding a nice clean place, a pleasant bit of woodland, off the beaten track a little bit um, and high enough up that the dogs don't we. I have lots of clever patches um, high up on walls and up, up in amongst trees and things where I 
collect my herbs where the dogs don't we <laughs> so yeah go out and find yourself some nettles and let me know how you get on with them you can uh, you can talk to me on my facebook page wild geese traveling and leave me a comment there about how you got on with nettles and uh, and i'll uh, i'll try and remember to put a recipe for nettle soup up on there in case you're nervous about starting to use them there are two sorts of nettles uh, there's a perennial one and there is an annual one so there is uh, urtica dioica and urtica urens uh, they both have very much the same property although the annual one has a slightly smaller more compact leaf but they they both are, are equal in their in their properties so don't hesitate about using them uh, nettles also have many other uses in the old days uh, we all know what a long and tenacious stalk they've got and how hard they are to, if you've ever tried to pick one uh, once it's mature and uh, they were massively used in early Britain for making fabric and ropes and strings and things like that because the fibres are so long and so strong and, um, and yeah, my old friend Mary Grieve the, uh, the, who produced the herbal back in the 30s uh, she has several pages devoted to nettle and, uh, and the many many uses of it and it used to be retted in just the same way as flax and uh, which meant that they rotted off all the stem they didn't want and it just left the fibres which they would then beat and wash and and then and then literally spin so they would they would spin the fibres in the, in the exact same way as we spin wool slightly different technique but but nevertheless the same and the nettle fibre was made into what was regarded as a very fine linen uh, it was highly regarded both in Scotland and in Ireland uh, and used uh, for many purposes uh, and in Scotland because it grew so well there it was really used, used regularly right up until the middle of the 18th or even 19th centuries when it imported cotton became uh, a, a much more common commodity but certainly uh, it was it was massively used and also used for rope and things like that as well so that humble little nettle yet another plant that we now regard as a nuisance was actually um, a lifesaver in so many ways so back in the day nettle was one of the first plants that came up in the spring to fend off scurvy and give a really important hit of vitamin C and iron and other nutrients to uh, help after the long dark northern winter but it also created the fabrics that kept us warm and the sheets in which we slept and uh, was generally um, really utilised in a big way so go out and rediscover nettle it's not difficult to find it's not difficult to recognise and uh, you can find it almost anywhere it's it's quite happy in shaded places often along hedgerows corners of fields corners of woodland places like that and uh, i really look forward to hearing how you've got on with nettle so last week we were talking about compost loos and how they can be employed off-grid and uh, for boaters and uh, so they they make a very pleasant 
and very easily manageable way of um, of managing um, one's human waste when a, when aboard a boat and and also in many other contexts so living in yurts living in woodlands uh, traveling in in trucks and vans all of these are, are, are there are possibilities for um, managing human waste this way and this works particularly well in in, in the, if you can't just you know dig a hole which is the ancient human tradition and whilst we talked about loos and how to use them and what types there were and so on last week uh, we i wanted to go on and talk about compost this time because that's essentially the product that uh, that is important in this whole process so it isn't simply a case of just pooing in a loo and covering up with sawdust we've then got to decide uh, how what's going to happen to that once the bucket is full and needs emptying and for me uh, the the actual fact of composting is really important some people do simply bag and bin their compost in the same way that people get rid of babies nappies and things like that and that for me uh, i can see why they might do that but for me it doesn't really fit with my holistic approach to life and what i really want to be doing is uh, is returning our human waste back to the soil structure because one of the most important things on our planet and one of the ways that we can best take care of the planet and address um, our our carbon dioxide problems and and quite a great deal of the of, of, of the issues that face the planet is in the soil and the soil has always sequestered a great deal of, of gases and so on and so forth and our intensive farming techniques have been destroying so soil structure uh, on a on a global scale so for me that being able to return compost to the soil is my one very tiny little thing that I can do to uh, redress the balance. And it's not much, but for my morals, I have to do that. It's really important, simply for my own peace of mind, even if it's a laughably small action in the face of, of annihilation-style destruction. So let's think about composting. So from the immediate thing, where I left you last was with our poo covered in uh, in a, a composting medium in um, a, a mop bucket in my thunderbox. So what happens when the mop bucket is full? Very good question, I'd say. So we have various corners of storage in in the boat, not very many at all. But one grotty corner of storage is an area called the swim. And this is the bit of the boat that's underwater that the prop shaft travels through on its way out of the boat to the propeller. Uh, and it's usually a kind of um, sort of V-shaped area. It's thin at the back and widens out to the rest of the hull of the boat. And it's quite an important area because it's how the water flows past the boat. But in this swim, which um, under the deck, there's quite a bit of space that's a bit damp and a bit grotty and not terribly useful for storing terribly much so our anchor which we very rarely use because we hardly ever go on rivers lives there for instance and fortunately it has uh, its shape accommodates a couple of fermenting bins so the, the sort of 
lidded bin that you would use for uh, for brewing homemade beer and you can pick this type of bin up from uh, chip shops really easily because um, uh, things like ghee and things arrive in these very large bins and also mayonnaise and sauces and things so it's an opportunity to upcycle a plastic bucket that might otherwise simply be going um, as a one-use plastic into la landfill so we have three of these bins um, and two of those are uh, shut up uh, with, with pierced holes in the lid to give them a little bit of breathing, breathing to make sure that there's some oxygen getting in there but basically we have we have two which are um, rotting down and composting and we have one to which we're adding the contents of our bucket and all of these buckets need stirring occasionally stirring makes quite a big difference to the composting progress so we have um, a large long handled wooden spoon that uh, lives poked into one of the compost buckets so that it's not lying around and is never mistaken uh, for any other purpose and from time to time when when we when we empty the mop bucket into the uh, the collecting bucket we take the lids off all three of them and and stir them all and you'd be surprised how quickly the uh, the, the compost and and poo mix uh, rots down and disappears and and it, very quickly uh, it's hard to detect that, that poo was ever in there and uh, um, within a couple of years that has rotted down entirely to uh, a, a fraction of the amount that was originally in the mop bucket and it's good compost so then we have the question of, of, of what happens to that because we're, we're wo working over a cycle and uh, so we were needing fairly regularly to to empty compost bucket number three um, and uh, that's the one that's that's really broken down well but isn't anywhere near having completed its two-year cycle and on a boat this is tricky because we don't have a garden if we had a garden then I would simply be um, adding it into into the main compost heap or putting it through a wormery, which if you've got enough outdoor space that's shaded on your boat is a possibility. So you can add this compost along with um, uh, vegetable peelings and things to a wormery and then the worms will do their job uh, and, and take all that compost and turn it into worm compost, at which point you've got a really fantastic planting medium that you can use for uh, for growing uh, we have not got enough space on mudlark to make that a possibility so what we do is we call upon friends and we're lucky enough to have a couple of friends with allotments or woodlands who are happy to do, to take our compost which we we take up to them and and to process that into uh, into their organic um, crop cycle it's quite important that you don't use human manure, as it's called, too early on in, uh, in, a, in a growing cycle. So this isn't something you'd want to put straight onto vegetables and things like that. But you can put it in onto um, soft fruit bushes and you can put it into woodland. And one of the things I particularly like to do is to deposit it into woodland um, just as the leaves are falling so that the, the, you, get a, you get a ground dressing of the humanure and then the leaves fall down upon that and then the worms 
take to work on all of that through the winter and by the spring uh, there's no trace left of any of it and uh, and the cycle continues so that's my uh, podcast for this week thanks for listening next week we'll be looking at recipes for using wild garlic and nettles amongst other things and we'll see how far up the cut mudlarks got on her journey uh, so looking forward to seeing you again if you want uh, to look at some more visual images and uh, and perhaps uh, join in and chat have a look at my facebook page wild geese traveling and uh, i hope to see you there and if not see you next week thanks for listening bye Thank you.